Hi, we are Inspired Churches and we are honored for you to tune in. We are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. As we walk into a new year, we invite you to be part of the ministry by donating a gift today. Go ahead and visit us at inspirechurches.com. We are in a sermon series that we started last week called The Last Adam, which essentially is looking at the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and seeing how in Christ, he, Jesus, has come to, to not just restore, but to do above and beyond so much more than what Adam lost. And so what Adam lost in creation, Jesus Christ has not just restored, but has done so much more. And so we're following Jesus and looking about how his life has kind of undone what Adam did in the Garden of Eden. And so I'm going to be honest with you right out the gate. It doesn't take much to tempt me. Now, I kind of wrestled with that statement because I'm not quite sure that should, that's an appropriate thing maybe for a pastor to say. Uh, because I like to stand up here very holy and very sanctified before this congregation. But if I'm really being honest, it doesn't take much to tempt me. In fact, the truth is, if you catch me at the right time, in the right moment, with the right thing in the right way, I can fold like a deck of cards. It's embarrassing. The other night I was driving home from teaching at a church. And on the way home, I was having a prayer time. And I was pulling into or pulling off of our exits, getting ready to go home when a car cut me off in the rain. And it didn't take much for me to forget that my prayer time was taking place as I immediately, almost instinctually, like default flesh nature immediately came in. And I don't curse, but I called the driver a trash bag, which... Really is, like, if you think about it, like, it's, you know, like, well, I didn't use the F word, but I said trash bag. I mean, essentially, I cursed. Now, I could have gave you another sin, right? But I chose to pick the one that kind of, you know, everyone has that one, right? But what I'm trying to tell you is that it doesn't take much for me to come right out of my spirit and into the flesh. Are you with me this morning? But there is good news. There is good news. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the good news for my easily fallen self. There is good news for a person like me who regularly finds himself easily tested, tempted, and failing and falling in sin. There is good news. And so if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, would you go with me to Luke chapter 4? Luke chapter 4, and we are going to read the first 13 verses, Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 13. Luke 4, verse 1 through 13. And these lights are hot, and there are a lot of people in this room, so I have a feeling that I'm, kind of, I'm going to start sweating in the next two to three minutes. And so if one of our amazing hosts could maybe grab me a napkin just so it doesn't fall into my eye and then I'm preaching and I'm burning. Anyways, um, Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 13. Now, we're not going to jump into the text immediately. I want to set it up for you so that uh, you can kind of have a a framework uh, to think through the text. We know this section of scripture to be the temptation of Jesus Christ. But what we might not know is that this section of scripture is recalling the greatest, most intense conflict the world has ever seen. What we are about to read is nothing short of warfare. In a sense, All of hell is coming against all of heaven with the fate of the entire human race and the universe at hand. No cap. 
Not sure if that fits there, but that was for all the young bloods in the building. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. And so though in your Bibles, it may be called the temptation of Jesus, this is warfare. This is the most intense conflict of cosmic proportion that the world has ever known. Now, the temptation of Jesus is recorded in all three of what's called the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three of them cover this temptation of Jesus. With Matthew and Mark placing Jesus's temptation uh, 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 immediately following the baptism of Jesus. Jesus goes to the Jordan. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And immediately the next step is the temptation. Are you with me? But Luke does something a little different. Luke frames Jesus' temptation. He puts the temptation in a cosmic context by inserting a record of Jesus' genealogy in between the stories of his baptism and his temptation. So whereas uh, uh, Matthew and Mark will baptize Jesus and then talk about his temptation, Luke will talk about the baptism and then he'll pause to give you a long genealogy of Jesus and then talk about the temptation. Are you with me? Now, I just want to share what happened at Jesus' baptism. At his baptism, if you remember, the father called Jesus my beloved son. And in Luke's genealogy, the final line before Jesus' temptation story is told, the genealogy refers to Adam as son of God. And so in the baptism, an audible voice from heaven will declare Jesus, my beloved son. And at the end of the genealogy of Jesus, it will say, Adam, the son of God. Are you with me? Or, or Adam, son of God. Now, I want to clarify and I want to be respectful. Amen. Respectfully, we don't teach a kind of Mormon theology. Jesus was not created by the father. Jesus is equal to the father he, he is neither adam's sibling nor adam's equivalent he is adam's creator who put on flesh and dwelt among us so jesus is not a son of god but he is the unique son of god luke is simply putting what is about to take place in perspective two men both referred to as sons of God. Two temptations with cosmic implications where the one man, Adam, will fail and bring condemnation and death to all. The one man, Jesus Christ, will succeed and bring justification and life to all who believe. And so if you really want to dive deeper into everything that I'm saying, I want to suggest you go back to our podcast last week where we really introduced the concept of Jesus being the second Adam or we're calling the last Adam. So I want to invite you to do that. But I'll do my best for you today to be able to catch you up. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, have your way in this building. Holy Spirit, do what your word says that you do. Illuminate the text. Take your word and make it alive in every heart and mind in this building so that every single person can walk out of church today saying they heard from you. And so, Lord, we are Jesus. We give you all honor and all glory and all praise. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now we will dive into the text, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. The scripture reads like this. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. That's where he was baptized. And was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was 
hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hand, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. I want to make a public service announcement. Today's message will not be about you. But I promise it'll be for you. Amen? It will not be about you. But I promise it'll be for you. I've pulled out four phrases from this text that I pray will help us comprehend the magnitude of warfare Jesus faced. And I also pray it will help us appreciate the triumph and dominion Jesus exercised over Satan. Yes, it's true that on the cross, Jesus disarmed every ruler and spiritual authority. But did you know that here during his temptation, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus bound up the strong man in Satan so that he could begin to plunder his house throughout the ministry. What I'm trying to say is we tend to look at the cross as the place of victory, but we have to understand it was not just in the death of Christ but it was also in the life of Christ where Jesus bound up Satan and began to plunder his house. And so if you're taking notes, here are the four phrases that I wanna share with you this morning. Number one, he was led by the Spirit. Number two, into the wilderness. Number three, he was hungry like some of you. And number four, he was tempted by the devil. Amen? So he was led by the spirit into the wilderness. He was hungry and tempted by the devil. Now, we're not going to go in that exact order, but those are the four phrases that I want to pull out today to help us all glorify, appreciate, and comprehend the magnitude of Christ's victory over Satan in this moment. Are you with me? The story begins with Jesus fresh from his baptism. Filled with the Holy Spirit, affirmed by the audible voice of God the Father. Jesus' ministry after his baptism, if you remember, he's dipped and he's brought up and the heavens open up. And the Spirit descends upon him and fills him. And, the, and God, in an audible voice, declares, this is my beloved Son in whom I am pleased. This starts, it catapults, it launches Jesus' public ministry into the world. Now he is ready. He is ready to go. But the question is, where would he go first? The scripture says, into the wilderness. Now, this wilderness is a place known as Jeshemon. And Jeshemon means devastation. Now, you'll notice from the picture, dry and barren, full of scorpions and snakes, with pieces of limestone covered in sand scattered across the terrain. Do you see them? And if you squinted your eyes just right, you could fool yourself into thinking that the desert floor was covered in loaves of bread. 
It was a place where nothing grows and nobody goes. But not only was he in the wilderness, but the scripture says that he was hungry. He had been fasting for 40 days. You know what that means? That's two days short of six weeks without eating even a morsel of bread. Some of us can barely go four hours before we become hangry. Some of us have tried to fast and have failed miserably. And if you're really holy in this place, you might have been able to string together one or two days. And if you're really trying to get skinny, some of y'all might have been able to juice. But Jesus was fasting. Are you with me? Now, inevitably, there will be some in this room who question the validity of Jesus' fast. You might argue that Jesus is God. And so it doesn't matter if he went 40 days or 100 days. It doesn't matter because he is God. But I want you to know, tucked into this simple and subtle phrase, he was hungry, is a critical truth and an incomprehensible theological mystery that though Jesus was truly God, he was hungry because he was truly human. And so we learn that his Divine nature did not shield him from experiencing pain. Are you with me? He would have been frail and weak. Jesus would have been sin beyond recognition. And Jesus would have possibly been walking really slow so as to avoid getting dizzy. It's here in this God forsaken place while experiencing extreme hunger from an almost six-week fast that we're told the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led him to be tempted by the devil. Are y'all here? The Holy Spirit led, like, wow, what a curveball. I mean, especially to American Christianity, amen? What a curveball. This, this idea of the Holy Spirit leading Jesus into the wilderness, starving to be tempted by the devil, radically opposes any health and wealth, name it and claim it gospel. And some of y'all love that. You want to know why we love it? Because it feeds your flesh. This truth about the Holy Spirit leading Jesus into a dry and barren place. Are you with me? It radically confronts any ridiculous notion that suffering and sickness is a result of a lack of faith. If you've been told that, you've been lied to. Your suffering, your sickness is not a result of your lack of just, if I just believe more, I'll be healed. And yet some of us give money to these guys. It's always so interesting, right? The health and wealth guys are always so rich and the people give them money are so poor. It only works for them. I wonder why. And I might cuss. This is trash theology. (laughs) Respectfully. But I want you to listen. Here's Jesus. Here is Jesus. Here is Jesus. Are Are you hearing me? Here is Jesus. Pleasing to the Father. Beloved by the Father. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Yet he was led by God to a dry and desolate place. How does that mess with your theology? Why would the father test his son in this way? Why would the beloved father test his son in this way? Well, because the son was sent as the last Adam to succeed where the first Adam had failed. Like, if you remember, two men, Adam and Jesus, two temptations. The first Adam was in a garden paradise, untouched by the fall. The last Adam was in a desolate wilderness, the result of the fall. The first Adam had a helpmate and plenty to eat. The last Adam was by himself, starving to death. Because of his disobedience, the first Adam was thrown out into the wilderness. Because of his obedience, the last Adam was led in 
to the wilderness. The first Adam gave in to Satan and forfeited paradise for all mankind. The last Adam defeated Satan, securing paradise for all who would believe. Are you hearing me? And speaking of paradise, the first Adam lasted, lost it on our behalf. But the last Adam left it on our behalf. The scripture says that he put on flesh and he left his glory into heaven. He stepped into our wilderness. Praise God for the superior Adam in Jesus That thing's going to mess with me all day. Tempted by the devil. Scripture says he was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Y'all are doing great. I want to go through each temptation and then we'll land this thing home. Some of you are excited because you think I'm about to dismiss. You're not there yet. But I just like telling you where we're about to go. Amen. Those of you who've been with me for a while, you already know. Three temptations. And I want to go through each one. Let's look at the first one. Luke chapter 4, verse 3. The scripture says this. The devil comes to Jesus while Jesus is famished. And he says this. If you are the son of God. That sneaky, sneaky little Satan. Sneaky snake. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Y'all remember the the limestones, right? They look like little loaves of bread. And when you're hungry, I remember one, and I'm going to, this was many years ago, and I'm not trying to sound holy. I was on a three-day fast, y'all, a three-day fast, a three-day fast, me. Look at me, looking like Jesus. And I was, I don't know, I was in my 30s, and I I can't stand sandwiches. I can't stand sandwiches. I couldn't stand sandwiches. Sandwiches were terrible. I, I just, for some reason, never, yeah, some of you are like, what? I just hated sandwiches. But I was on a three-day fast, and I was about day 2.5, and I was in a night class because I was also going to school, and we had a break because it was like one of those long extended classes, and you get this little break. And I look over, and I saw this young lady just pull out her little lunch baggie, and she opened up, and little Serena, there was a sandwich. She was unbagging it. I don't know, like cheat. You know, it looked like one of those sandwiches, right? And I was just like watching her and she started to eat the sandwich. And she might have thought I was a creeper, but it was the sandwich, not her. That was the test. But here's, here's my whole point. After that three-day fast, guess what? I said to myself, I'm going to break my fast with a sandwich. I've never liked them before. But in this fast, all of a sudden, the Lord is just transforming my tastes. That'll preach, amen? And so, I broke my fast. I went to Togo's, got a sandwich, and I got a nice cup of broccoli cheddar soup. Some of y'all might think that's nasty. And ever since then, I enjoy sandwiches, and I love a good soup and sandwich. Everything changed that day. But let me just say this. The, the devil says, like, if you are the son of God, like, turn these, these rocks that kind of look like sandwiches, turn, turn them into bread. And so I want you to see this. Stage one of Satan's assault was a challenge. But here's what's interesting. Did you notice it was a challenge to the father's affirmation of Jesus being his beloved son? Remember in the baptism, the father said audibly, this is my beloved son. And at the temptation, Satan's like, are you sure? Are you God's son? And in that question, are y'all with me? We see echoes of Eden. Y'all remember? In Eden, right? Satan's goal was to get Adam and Eve to doubt the father's word. And so here Satan is trying to get Jesus to doubt the father's word. Are you sure you're his son? Do you really believe him? Like, like, did God really say? Y'all remember that in the garden? And and, and another hint of Eden Eden appears because Satan likes to use food for some reason. And so we see in the garden, uh, Satan is tempting our first parents with food. And now we see in the temptation, Satan is tempting our king, our Lord, our savior with 
food. But don't get it twisted. This temptation goes way beyond food. It goes way beyond just the satisfying of my appetite. The potency of this test revolved around doubting the father's care. Are y'all hearing me? How could a good dad bring you here? Leave you here and let you starve. Uh, this isn't care, Jesus. This is abuse. <laughs> You're not the beloved. You've been abandoned. So, so why don't you just handle it yourself? Like, like our first parents, Satan's goal was to get Jesus to doubt his father's care. And in that doubting of that care, to start making determinations for himself. But unlike our first parents, amen, our Lord and Savior, our suffering servant, starving in the desert, he repelled Satan's bombardment by recalling God's word. Jesus responded, it is written, and I'm reading Matthew 4, 4, Matthew's version, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yes, I'm hungry. And yes, a sandwich does not sound like a bad idea. Yes, I'm alone. And yes, I feel depleted, but I have a greater need that goes beyond my human frailty. And that is the need to trust my father. And that is the need to love my father. And that is the need to do my father's will, to eat my father's word. And I can imagine Jesus thinking something like, if he led me to it, he'll lead me through it. Pastor Alistair Begg made an incredible point, and I want to share it with you today. You know, in just a short time, Jesus, in just a few more chapters, Jesus is going to leave the wilderness, and he's going to preach the Sermon on the Mount. And during the preaching of the Sermon on the Mount, you know what one thing he's going to say to his disciples? Why do you worry? Don't be anxious about anything. Everybody remember that? He's going to say that to his disciples. He's going to tell them, why do you worry about what you will wear? He's going to tell them, why do you worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink? He's going to tell his disciples, your father clothes the lilies. Your father feeds the birds. And how much more will he not feed and clothe and care for you? And then he'll finally say, so seek first the kingdom of God and all of its righteousness. And then everything else will be added unto it. Do you remember that story? But listen, had Jesus given into this temptation, had Jesus turned those stones into bread, I can imagine the disciples, especially if it was me, like you might not be the smart aleck disciple, but I know I am. I know I would respond, sure, Jesus, easy for you to say. Anytime you're hungry, you can turn stones into steaks. Trust God, whatever. You don't know what it's like to be alone, Jesus. You don't know what it's like to be desperately in need. You don't know what it's like to go weeks without eating on the verge of starving to death, Jesus. Don't tell me to trust God. But our Savior knows. In his humanity, he knows what it means to wait on God, even while enduring suffering and pain. What a beautiful Savior we have. When nobody gets it, he gets it. When nobody's gone through it, he's gone through it. And where everyone else has failed, he is the only human in the history of humanity that has succeeded. What a wonderful Savior. We have. Thank God he resisted and he didn't turn stone into bread. And so when he says, trust the Father, he has modeled 
what it means to trust the Father. Second temptation. How y'all doing? Luke 4, verse 5. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Fascinating. And said to him, to you, Jesus, I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me. And I can give it to whomever I want. If you then will worship me, it'll all be yours. During my week of study, I think this temptation impacted me the most. This temptation, I mean, all the temptations, I mean, right, I was thinking about sandwiches. There's a lot of things going on. But this temptation impacted me the most. You see, I, I want to I frame what this temptation really meant. Like, this temptation was not about if Jesus was Messiah. This temptation was about what kind of Messiah he would be. Hear me out. Let me set this up for you. You know, Jesus was king. Jesus was a king. But the question was, how would he secure his kingdom? Would he secure his kingdom through violence and force? Or would he secure his kingdom through suffering and death by laying down his life? Are y'all with me? You see, the allure of this temptation was the possibility of bypassing pain. Satan was offering to Jesus the path of the least resistance. Are y'all with me? Come on, where are my lazy folks at? Where are all the folks in this room that love to take the easy route? Am I the only one? Like this temptation got me. Like where are the folks that like to cut the corners and do it the easy way? Where are all the folks that like to avoid suffering? Where are all the selfish folks? This temptation, Satan was offering Jesus sovereignty without suffering. Greatness without the grave. Satan was offering Jesus a crown without the cross. Y'all hearing me? Man, this impacted me. Because I would have folded here. I would have folded. You mean I can get all the things that my father says I can have, but I can do it without having to go to the cross? I can do it my way? Without pain? Without suffering? Without humiliation? Sign me up for that. I'm in. Uh, I'm going to take a step back. I want you to imagine this scene. Imagine the scene. Uh, The scripture doesn't tell us how it went down. So I'm just going to pontificate, okay? We're just going to talk. We're going to imagine, right? Don't, don't quote me on any of this, all right? This is not in the Bible, but I just, I'm just, you know, use our imagination a little bit. You know, was this a vision? Like, how was it possible for Satan to take Jesus to a place where he showed him all the kingdoms simultaneously? Like, was it a vision with real life implications? Or like, did he really take him up on like a high mountain, <laughs> did, like, did, did Satan have some kind of like smart TV remote with the ability to kind of fast forward, rewind, and pause, right? Because the scripture says Satan showed him every kingdom. And the scripture doesn't just say he showed him every kingdom, but he showed him every kingdom in its glory. So Satan showed him every kingdom, but every kingdom at its prime, at its peak, at its best. From the, from, from the Babylonians to the Aztecs, from the Egyptians to the Romans, from U.S. to China, Jesus was, uh, Jesus was shown. He was offered all the empires in history of the world in their prime without having to endure pain, suffering, humiliation, and death. Are you with me? All that Satan required of Jesus was to bow. Take a knee. Nobody's here. Nobody's watching. You know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are writing this not because they were there. Jesus was alone. I imagine that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I imagine that some of the disciples, which would have been Matthew, because Luke wasn't there, 
Matthew might have just record, read it, wrote it down because I imagine that maybe during some time in the, in the ministry, they, the disciples, Peter and James and John, they might have came to Jesus and said something like, you know, we've been tempted. Like, how do you? And Jesus said, well, this one time. <laughs> I didn't even imagine that being funny. Somebody laughed at that. That was the best joke I had. And I didn't, it wasn't even a joke. All right. Praise God. <laughs> but, t- but in that moment, take a knee. Bow down. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's looking. Nobody's watching. You do that, and all of this is yours. Now, some of you might argue, how is that Satan's to give? Well, think about that. Let's go back. There's more echoes of Eden. Are you with me? Like Adam in the garden, right? Adam and Eve, they were, they were delegated dominion. You know that, right? Like God gave them the authority to rule. Are you with me? But when Adam fell into temptation, he surrendered that dominion. He surrendered that authority to the snake. And so ever since then, the snake has been called the prince of this world. Overseeing the rise and fall of human kingdoms. Y'all think that This is a godly country. Satan oversees the rise and fall of empires. Are you with me? The prince of this world. And as we have looked back in history, we have seen human empires, haven't we, rise and fall. Fueled by lust for power. Achieved through murder, manipulation, coercion, intimidation, fear. But Jesus would not be Satan's puppet king. Y'all don't hear me though. Jesus would not be Satan's puppet king. Jesus didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom. Jesus didn't come to build another Babylon. His kingdom was God's kingdom and God's kingdom is not of this world. I want you to think about it. Jesus was the first human in the story of scripture who actually resisted He's the first human ever in the history of this world to ever be offered so much. We sell our souls short for little. We sell out for so little. Jesus was offered everything in its prime. He's the only human in history to be offered so much. And yet he replied, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only, only shall you serve. Finally, Satan took Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple. I don't know, One of the domes and one of the structures, who knows, nobody saw. And somehow like Spider-Man, maybe like Batman, you know, just standing on top of this tall, tall place. And Luke chapter 4 verse 9 records, Satan said, if you are the son of God, (laughs) throw yourself down from here. And then Satan says, for it is written. (laughs) It is written. Like that's basically... The Bible says, Satan says, it is written, for he will command his angels concerning you, Jesus, to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, Jesus, lest you strike your foot against us. So in other words, you can fall over and nothing will happen to you. In the final temptation of this episode, Satan flexes his knowledge of the scriptures. He knows the word better than you do. He knows the word better than I do. He's aware of the word. And he's telling, he's telling Jesus, you want to use the word, I'm going to use the word. It was almost as if Satan was saying, since you live by the word and since you trust that your father cares, jump off of this building and prove that you are the Messiah. After all, the Bible says that his angels will protect you. But this is just like Satan, silly snake. He loves to isolate scripture. 
He never gives it all. Just enough. Just like your favorite heretic. Just enough of scripture to make you think it's God's word. But not the full counsel of God's word. Which is why we're so easily led astray. Which is why we buy into prosperity theology. Just enough to make you think that it's true. But not the whole thing. Just enough to tickle your ears. But Jesus wasn't fooled. Amen. Where I get duped, where you get duped, Jesus wasn't duped. He wasn't fooled. Jesus knew that you can't pit scripture against scripture. And that although the text that Satan was quoting was true, the scripture also explicitly says to not test God foolishly. This is a foolish test. And so he replies to Satan, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Incredible, incredible. I want you to think about this. Jesus was so secure in who he was. He was so secure in the Father's word over his life that he did not feel the need to prove it. I fold under this temptation. I prove it all. I try to prove it. Prove it. Prove it. How can I prove it? How can I look better? How can I look faster? How can I look stronger? What, what way can I picture and position myself so that everyone can see this? Jesus didn't feel the need to prove himself. He was safe and secure in the Father's word. You see, the Father had already declared him, this is my son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And there was no reason for him to jump off any building to prove what he already knew and trusted God was true about himself. When you love someone and trust someone, you, you stop testing them. Married couples, and some of you might be working on this. But just, I mean, if you went your whole marriage where you were constantly being tested, always tested, tested, constantly. Your love was constantly being tested every day. You would be like, where's the trust? Foolish tests. Some of you need to be tested, right? Some of you have broken some promises and there needs to be some testing. There needs to be some accountability. But what I'm saying is love, where there's, where there's no trust, there's no love. It's just a constant test. Jealousy, insecurity, control. You, are you with me? Jesus, I don't need to test my father. I love him. I trust him. No need for me to jump off of this building. Are you serious? To prove but the Father has already said to be true. Uh, I wore this WWJD bracelet. In high school, I started wearing this bracelet, right? So stitched on it is the, is the letters WWJD. Anybody ever wore these? Yeah? Yeah, show me how old you are. There you go. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. <laughs> right, everyone like under 40 is like, what's that? <laughs> and it's like really like, it's, you know, it, not a lot of expense. I think like the guys who created this had no idea that it was going to go where it went. Um, but I started to wear this. And, and so WWJD, right, the letters stand for what would Jesus do? I see y'all. And they were meant to remind you <laughs> in times of temptation, what would Jesus do? Now, Philip, I know you want to do that thing, but what would Jesus do? Are y'all with me? And somehow, like the thought behind this the thought of what Jesus would do would all of a sudden strengthen you to overcome. Good deal. Little bracelet, WWJD. This thing, man, I put this thing on. Man, I ain't gonna, I'm not sinning today. Not today, Satan. I got my bracelet from the Bible bookstore. Doesn't even exist anymore. It had different colors too. And then with athletes, professional athletes started to wear them because at first, you don't want a Christian to wear this in high school. I get it. But when like professional, some athletes started to wear it, all of a sudden we were like, yeah, what would Jesus do? We wore them everywhere. Wore them to school. 
War them in the playground playing ball. War them at practice. War it at the game. It was oxidizing, full of sweat, wearing that thing. <laughs> so like WWJD became a trend. <laughs> can I say this? Like looking back, I can appreciate what WWJD was trying to accomplish. You with me? I can appreciate what they were trying to accomplish. But listen, it's not what Jesus would do. It's not what would Jesus do that has the power to keep me from sin. It's what Jesus has already done. Get this part, if you don't get anything else. It's not what would Jesus do that would actually in that moment empower me, like I better not sin. But it's what Jesus has already done. You see, if we reduce Jesus to simply a model or an example for us to follow, then we will always find ourselves failing and falling short of perfection. Are you with me? If we use Jesus as a model or a good example of what we should do, then we will always find ourselves failing and falling short of perfection. Spilt my water. But praise God that Jesus was more than a model. Listen, hear me out. Praise God that Jesus was more than an example. Jesus was our substitute. You see the difference there? He's our substitute. And that when I fall regularly into temptation, when I fall regularly, when I fail in sin, it's not what would Jesus do. It's what did Jesus do. I fell, but he didn't. I failed, but he didn't. I sin, but Jesus never sinned. He's not just a good example. He's our substitute. That's good news, y'all. You remember I started this by saying I'd get tempted real easily, but there's good news. And you're probably like, well, what's the good news? The good news is that Jesus is my substitute. And he took the test for me. And not only did he score well, but he scored a perfect with honors above and beyond. And here's where we miss the gospel. The gospel is not just in the death of Christ, but in the life of Christ. So that on the cross, he put your sin on himself, all your failures. My drive home the other night where I called the guy a trash bag and other things I haven't told you about. (laughs) All put on Jesus and on the cross, Jesus was nailed and he was punished on my behalf. But that's not all what happened. Because what was credited to my account was Jesus' perfect righteousness. And so the good, listen, the good news of the gospel is not just in the death of Jesus, but in the life of Jesus. So that when I stand before God, I have an alien righteousness. A righteousness that's not my own. I have a perfect test score when I stand before the Father. Because Jesus was so much more than a good example. So much more than just a good model. He was my substitute. And it's that truth that saves. It's that truth that causes me to want to lay down my life. It's that truth that the Holy Spirit begins to do something inside of me. And he begins to transform me in ways I couldn't do on my own. God, I got to stop doing this. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus? No, no, no. What did Jesus already do? And it's that truth and that good news that the Spirit uses to to transform us from the inside out. To begin to walk a life that looks like Jesus. And as we get ready to magnify King Jesus... I want you to remember not what would he do, but what did he do? What kind of king was he? What kind of Messiah is he? And though this sermon wasn't about you, 
is for you. All hail King Jesus. I know that phrase feels a little antiquated, but what a beautiful phrase to capture the majesty of our King. And when he comes back and he reigns, there's no doubt that all will hail King Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In a moment, I'm going to pray. There's two things. I want to read a scripture to you. But before we do that, I want to take advantage of this moment. We're so excited because this Tuesday night, we are going to start 10 weeks of just looking at the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll be in Hayward at 730 you can sign up at the resource table. If you haven't signed up yet, there's still room available. I know we were shooting for 100. I think we're close to 80, 82, somewhere around there. If we have to pack that place out and find another place, I don't care. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so glorious. It's going to be 10 weeks. It's going to be a commitment. We'll have child care. Uh, but we're going to sit and we're just going to look at the splendor and beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. We're not just gonna be a church that cliche, right? Makes it a cliche on Sunday mornings. We're being transformed by the gospel. We wanna be transformed by this beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I wanna invite you, invite you. And maybe if you're already prepared to go, make a 10 week commitment if you can. Do whatever you have to do and we'll travel together. And before I pray, I wanna read from the book of Hebrews chapter four, verses 15, 14 through 16. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Amen. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Wow, we don't have a savior who doesn't understand. We have a savior who not only understands, not only like you has gone through it, but unlike you has passed the test on our behalf. So heavenly father, we just come before you. I pray Lord God, that you would be with us as we leave this place. Holy spirit, illuminate the text, illuminate this word. Lord, I pray it's not just a Sunday word, Lord. I pray that this word Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, throughout the week, Lord God, would continue, Lord God, to pulsate in our hearts and our minds, Lord God. I pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, not Jesus, our, our example, or Jesus, our good teacher, but Jesus, our substitute, our savior, would empower us to walk led by the spirit no matter where the spirit might lead may we trust the father's goodness in all that we do and may you continue to get all honor and glory not just from our individual lives but from this church may the bay area may union city and beyond be blessed because a people were changed transformed by the gospel living in rhythms of life for your glory and honor and we pray these things in christ's name amen and amen god bless you inspire church have a wonderful Sunday. God bless. Again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Our prayer and hope is that you would be transformed by God's word and live for him. Before you go, would you consider giving a gift today? By faith, we are walking into the new year and continuing to believe in what God is doing in the city through our missional communities and mercy ministries. Visit us at inspirechurches.com to give a gift and let's see together the great things God will continue to do in the new year.